Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. Good morning, Father. It's, you know, we always know that you're with us, but sometimes we just don't put ourselves in the mindset to realize that or to appreciate that. So God, as we kind of spend a little bit more time with you today, we're just, we're just so grateful that you've given us this opportunity to get together, to think about you, to pray uh, for you, and just just love, just feel the love that you give to, to us and uh, sing your praises. It's just, uh, and, I, and, and I know you're, you're, you're smiling and you're, you're, you're just so pleased that we're here for you and showing you how much we care. Lord, thank you for today, uh, a, day that, a, a day like so many others, but we kind of forget that those are gifts that you give us. And we kind of take that for granted. Uh, we're just, uh, but, but we do appreciate it. We, do, we, we feel blessed that you give it to us. And, and yet with that comes responsibility and uh, responsibility that you want us to do things within, with, with the days that you give us. And maybe it's being closer to a family member that we haven't spent much time with of late or uh, a friend that, we kind of sense may need a word, a, a good word from us, or even a stranger that we pass in the street or uh, serving us breakfast and maybe reaching out just asking who they are, what their name is, and uh, putting a smile on our face so that we can show them that we appreciate who they are. That's all, you know, your, your son, that's all your son through us that we have the opportunity to show the world, and we know we need to do more of it, and, and if we think that these days are gifts, and they are, then maybe we can start thinking a little bit harder about being more like what you want us to be. And so, God, if you give us another day tomorrow, uh, if I don't get it right today, and if we don't get it right today, then if you give us another day, we'll try to do it again tomorrow. Um, let my words be your words. Uh, and, uh, and again, thank you so much for, for just being you and loving us. I love anything clever. I love clever people like comedians. Comedians are really clever. The ones that are the most clever, I think, are the ones that can make a bunch of people laugh without throwing a lot of F-bombs or a lot of just, just words that aren't necessary and are sometimes unpleasant. Um, I, I love clever writers. I love clever screenplay writers, uh, clever movies. Uh, one that I like the, uh, a lot is uh, um, National Treasure. Uh, starring uh, Nicolas Cage. Uh, some of you hopefully have seen it. It's, it. That's a pretty clever movie because it's, it's thoughtful. It's, it's not like, okay, they're, some, they're sending you down kind of a one track. There's a lot of things going on, and it's historic, and it's just, I like people, and I like words to be very clever, and I think one of the most clever sets of words that are out there, and I forgot my glasses, of course, um, uh, the cleverest demonstration of words to me are oxymorons. And if you don't know, if you're not quite remembering what an oxymoron is, 
Oxymorons are where you take two words that are really opposites and you put them together and, and someone makes a phrase out of it and kind of uses it as a, as a phrase. So if you're not as familiar with them, I'm going to give you several examples. Alone together. That's kind of an oxymoron. Dark light. Clearly confused. Bittersweet's a good one. Original copy. Passive aggressive. That's a, and, my, and my all-time favorite, jumbo shrimp. I've always liked jumbo shrimp. Anyway, um, and, and some of you may, may know of the person that was probably really good at phrases like that. Um, his name was Yogi Berra. Now, the younger ones here probably have never heard of Yogi Berra. Yes, it's, no, but it's definitely not Yogi Bear. That was a cartoon back when I was growing up. But Yogi Berra was a baseball player uh, and, a, and a coach. But he was you know, famous with the, I think he was a Hall of Famer, with the Yankees. And, but as he got older, he was probably more famous with his goofy sayings. And the one I like the most from him is, no one goes to that restaurant anymore. It's always too crowded. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. I'm a foodie, so that's why it stuck with me. So, in looking at this series, The Way of the Warrior, Fight for Your Peace, to me, that's an oxymoron, Drew. It really is. And by the way, thank you for having me stand here doing, in doing this and selecting this Sunday just a few hours after uh, uh, this change of time that we're now experiencing. <laughs> so, I hope everyone had their coffee. Anyway, um, I, I just think this book, again, The Way of the Warrior, uh, Fight for Your Peace, was a classic oxymoron as far as I'm concerned. And I had to think about it a lot. I was saying, Drew, you really gave me a challenge here. But I, but I think I'm going to pull, be able to pull this thing off. But what I'm going to do with this so far, I'm going to put it in a parking lot. And if I can, go into the scripture that, that, uh, that I'm to address here. So if you will, either in your Bibles or your pads, or I'm happy to just read it. Uh, I'm going to Joshua 5, starting with... Uh, verse 13, and I'm going to go through the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to roll into chapter 6. And by the way, um, I'm not sure whether you got the chapter 6 part and all this. I'm going to carry it forward, so it, just, if, if he can't do it, that's fine. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or, or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as prince of the host of Jehovah. Wait a minute. This is not, this thing changed the version and it's really throwing me off. I apologize. There we go. Contemporary version here. And I'm going to admit to you one thing here later as to why, that, why I had to do that. All right, let's try it again. One day, and I'm not a pro here. Drew is the pro. Okay, so my apologies. One more time. One day Joshua was near Jericho when he saw a man standing some distance in front of him. The man was holding a sword, so Joshua walked up to him and asked, Are you on our side or, or on our enemy's side? Neither, he answered. I am here because I am the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua fell to his knees and bowed down to the ground. Take off your sandals, the commander answered. This is a holy place. So Joshua took off his sandals. Now into chapter 6. Meanwhile, the people of Jericho had been locked, uh, locking the gates in their town wall because they were afraid of the Israelites. No one could go in or out. The Lord said to Joshua, With my help, 
you and your army will defeat the king of Jericho and his army, and you will capture the town. Here's how to do it. March slowly around Jericho once a day for six days. Take along the sacred chest and tell seven priests to walk in front of it carrying trumpets. But on the seventh day, march slowly around the town seven times while the priests blow their trumpets. Then the priests will blast on their trumpets and everyone else will shout. The wall will fall down and your, sh and your soldiers can go straight in from every side. So think about it a minute. So Joshua's sitting there and he's, he's, he's heard from God through this commander. And he's now going to have to tell these priests and his, his lieutenants and the army to start doing this. So he's going, okay, guys, hello. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around Jericho once a day for six days. And some, I'm sure by this time, because, you know, they've already seen that the Jordan River part and they've walked with the uh, Ark of the Covenant across the river and so they kind of got that idea that God's kind of around them right at this point but okay so we're going to go once a day for six days we're going to go around Jericho and on the seventh day we're going to go seven times when you toot these horns the wall's going to fall down and we're going to go on in and so Joshua's getting this download from God and the others are like okay we got to trust, uh, uh, trust Joshua but it, it ended up like that and and either we can, either you know the story or we can talk about the story later or Drew will kind of wrap it up later on. But, um, which brings up a part of my point to my talk here, and that is, how do you hear from, how do people hear from God? I really started thinking about that. How do people, how do you hear from God? So I, I know my lovely wife. I know how she does it. Music is a great way for her to hear from God. When there's a good song like you guys do, wherever we go, when there's a good song, if you see that hand go up and tears start to flow, I mean, flowing down and, I mean, the hand's going up, I know that, I know that God is linked in and talking, just downloading to Diane. Um, this is interactive, so anybody else have their way of, of hearing from God? Anybody want to share? If not, I've got a few others, but anybody want to share? Just reading the Bible. Now, I admitted to Drew for the first time in my entire life. I've never admitted this to anybody. I did this the last week. I don't like reading the Bible. <laughs> you get that, Bailey. I don't like reading the Bible. I, I wish I did. It's not that I don't want to love to read the Bible. I want to. I've tried probably dozens and dozens and dozens of times in my life. But it's just my brain is so left analytical, number-oriented that I, I didn't like reading Shakespeare. I ha was forced to read Shakespeare in high school and college. Um, but that didn't mean that I didn't seek trying to connect with God through the Bible. I just wasn't able to do that after numerous, numerous times all my life. Um, some people like going into the mountains and just being quiet in nature, whether it be the mountains or the ocean. Um, I, there, I even tried to connect with God. A lot of times I, in my, my career, I traveled a lot. I went to New York a lot. And in New York City, in Manhattan, there's the St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral. And it's gorgeous. If you've never been, highly recommend it. And it's majestic, and it's, it's got all the things that Catholics love to do in a big uh, cathedral. And, uh, and I would always go, go there because I love the idea of the, they got the stands of the candles and, 
and I've lost, as we all have, we've lost loved ones, uh, and, and I love the whole concept of going in and taking, lighting up a candle and, and kind of praying over uh, their memory. But I always go there and I go, I'd love to hear from God, never quite do it, did it. In fact, I have to admit something to you. For the first 55 years of my life, I don't think I ever heard from God. I'm, that didn't mean that God didn't talk to me, that God wasn't yelling at me, that God wasn't tripping me in the middle of the street, that God wasn't altering my life in a positive way or even a negative way to get my attention. I just don't believe I ever heard. I, I don't recall ever hearing from God for 55 years. And during that 55 years, and it's, most of you have not been, that, that are here now weren't here when I did my, testimony when we when was having this place redone and where it was over at the, at the college. So I'll take 45 seconds because, because it's not that important now except it's a lead-in for the rest of what I'm going to say. I grew up with very, very young parents. My parents were 17 and 16 when I was born. Um, they ultimately got married a month or two after realizing that they were going to have a kid. Um, but my father, unfortunately, was, um, was bipolar. And admittedly, uh, very narcissistic and so uh, he had issues and enough issues to where growing up um, he was really rough on me not physically thank the Lord but uh, his favorite saying to me was and this is true this uh, this is in, unfortunately branded in my brain you are not worth the lead to blow yourself to kingdom come every time I say that it's like I can't believe that a parent would say that to any child. But anyway, I was, I had a life full of not sure, not having any confidence in most anything. And so ultimately though, I had a family member that came into my life, that was in my life, that stepped up and said, we're gonna change this. And my life started to do well. And then I started to realize that I could achieve. And I started to achieve. And I got a college education. It wasn't one degree, it was two degrees. And it wasn't one set of credentials, it was two sets of credentials. And it wasn't a satisfying job, it had to be a higher paying satisfying job. And then it became, it couldn't, didn't have to be where I was living, it had to be across country, then maybe across country back. And then maybe in, I, I lived uh, four different directions going back and forth uh, the country during my life. And admittedly, I achieved in my profession, other people would, would say that I achieved very, very well in my, in my career. And I'd have to admit that I did the same thing. But up until 10 years before today, I had, I had, was, I was, I had hit my pinnacle, but I was still, I was lost. I was like, something was wrong. Something was empty. The, a, a pretty car wasn't enough. A nice house wasn't enough. A nice pair of shoes wasn't enough. People telling me I was doing a good job wasn't enough. And I just, and just as I got, and went on, I was kind of realizing that I was falling back on that. I could never do well enough. It just, I couldn't hit it. I couldn't reach it. So about 10 years ago, I was introduced to a gentleman. Well, first of all, I was introduced to my lovely wife. I'm so happy for that. But I was also introduced to a, to a gentleman. His name is Larry Green. And Drew knows him. And... Larry was kind of like me. I mean, I related to him. He, uh, his career, he was with Coca-Cola. And he was with, and when he'd, when he'd come home, and he had a lovely wife and two, two young kids, 
when he'd come home, he'd want to play golf. It was his thing on the weekends. Morning, and he was going to go play golf, and his son Mitchell was, came running out to the car. And he says, Daddy, please don't go spend time with me. And he said, I didn't. I, I said, son, Mitchell, I've got to go. I've got people waiting on me. I'll see you when I get home. Five hours later. And to, and to, to watch Larry tell that story, he'll, 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 it still puts tears in his eyes. So something like that motivated him to go into a, on a silent retreat. If he hadn't been on a silent retreat, that's a couple of days worth of locking down, no devices, in a dorm room, eat your meals, don't say a word, it's just you and God. And it's not easy. I tried it, and I've got a reason why it didn't work for me, but that doesn't mean it had nothing to do with God. It had something to do with some other things. It's a funny story, actually. Um, he comes back from that silent retreat, and he says, he's in tears. He goes to his wife, Jody. He says, Jody, I've got to quit my job. I'm going to start a ministry. And Jody's like, who are you? Who? I mean, she didn't have a clue where that came from. And I think that probably was a challenge of their marriage in the beginning. This was 20 years ago for them. But he does it. He started a small group ministry and then a large group, and a, a large group ministry and just is doing some, and it's, it, it's like a lot of ministries that kind of struggle a little bit in the beginning and now God is just raining down blessings with, with, with what he is doing and the people that are affiliated with that ministry is doing. It's just incredible and I'm so blessed to have him as a friend. Anyway, so I start hanging around this guy a little bit. It's a long story why, why and that it, I'm kind of constrained in time a little bit. But as more as I was around him, I could see the look of peace about him. I just was just, I couldn't take my eyes off that. When I wasn't around him, I was just like, what? I never said anything about it. I just knew he had it. And I began to, to really long for it. So roll forward three years. But during that three years, I think even though Technically, God, I didn't pray for that. God actually started to work. And he started to work in such a way that he started to slowly dismantle all these things piece by piece. Not all at once like some catastrophic things happened to some people. God blessed me and took these things, some of these, these things away, but not all at one time. So it's like I, I, you know, I'm still moving forward kind of with both legs under me. But the more I was working, walking forward, the more I was really just getting down and it's depressed and uh, the hole was getting bigger and bigger and I couldn't, I mean, I was desperate. I mean, I was down to my career, my career that I loved. I hated what I, did, what I was doing, just hated it. And I didn't know where to go because I was tied to it. I gotta, I, got, I gotta feed that monster, if you wanna call it that, that's in me. And I just keep it going. So what ended up happening? Seven years ago, I was just broken. And I decided to go off, kind of like what Diane did. Like just kind of, I'm going to go off and just be alone. And, and if it's with God, I, I'm, I'm going to try to do it with God. And again, I've not heard from him yet, ever. And so I'm listening to a series, a CD series, from a pastor named Andy Stanley. Most of you may, some of you may be familiar with Andy. He runs a very big ministry in Atlanta. And the name of the series was Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. So I went through, and I, I mean, it was a long trip. One CD after another. Five hours of Andy Stanley. 
That's five hours of, of Drew Anderson, too. I mean, it's like his, his sermons, which I could do, uh, Drew. I could, I, could, I could do that. You put them all together, I could listen to them all. But, but that's a lot. That's like I really am trying to find something here all at one time. And what really impressed me was, was that in his sermon, he said, stop praying for something. Gee, I wish I'd, God would fix this. God would give me that. God would take care of them. Uh, God, get me through these five traffic lights because I'm late for my appointment because it's a very important appointment, God. It's for this account that I'm getting for this employer. It's amazing what we pray for. At least amazing what I pray for. Um, and then he said, and then he, he referred to a song by the band Train. And may have you, many of you may have already heard it. It's called Calling All Angels. So I dropped on my knees and say the prayer, God, just let me know that you're in this with me. Just give me a sign that you're in this with me. Beyond that, just very simple. Never done a prayer like that before in my life. And then I've never heard that song before. Of course, I've heard it probably a thousand times since then. Um, but never before. And so, but I, but, I, but I didn't recognize I was hearing from God at that point until four days later where I heard from him again. I get a call. I'm, I'm, I'm miserable with, my, with the firm that I'm working with. I, had, I was already at my pinnacle. It didn't work out with my business part. It was fine. Kind of stepped back, stayed in the profession, but it was a firm I really didn't like, but I just felt like I had to feed the monster. And, then he, uh, and it was a firm in Dallas, and I was, happened to be in Atlanta at the time, and I get the call. A rather simple misunderstanding. But he took it a lot more seriously, and by the end of the conversation, he fires me. I've never been terminated in my life. I was, a, I was at the top of my profession. People were clamoring for, my, for, for me to go across, to, to, to move across country to be working for them. And yet, this firm fires me. And the first reaction was I was pretty mad. And they're wrong, and... So Diane, so, I, so Diane comes home, and we decide to go off into the mountains. I need to get away. Maybe I can find God in the mountain, in the, up in the Smokies somewhere. And by, by the time we got there, I had a bunch of messages on my phone, and the guy from the, the, the head of the firm says, was saying, give me a call, give me a call, give me a call. You think we overreacted. Let's have a conversation. We ended up having a conversation, and basically I said, I don't want to come back. That I that I didn't tell him that I felt like God was telling me something. I actually felt like I was, for the first time in my life, I think God was really trying to tell me something. And I thought, I better move forward with this. So I told him, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I walked away from my profession that I adored, but was troubled with, and fed this machine of who I was for such a long period of time. And then God says, I'm going to, so now you recognize the first time, Tom, that, that, that one, you did recognize the second one. I mean, it was pretty clear now, but the, you know, they said, yeah, the first time, second time. He does it again three days later. It's like mind-blowing. So Diane and I are living in Atlanta at the time. We're going to, to, to church at, at Woodstock City, which is one of the other churches within Andy Stanley's uh, collection of churches that, he, that, he's, that his ministry is a part of. 
And I've never heard a sermon like this before since. And it was the sermon, Jesus in the Workplace. And I'm just like, <laughs> holy cow. No, you go for it. And it's like, I think, I've, I think God's gotten me. So I've walked away from my profession. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. Did y'all miss the, did y'all catch the oxymoron in the song? Anybody catch that? Um, let me make sure I get verbally correct here. Because I feel us drowning in a sea spilled from a cup. That's basically how I live my life. The smallest things were driving me absolutely crazy. I couldn't pull back. It, it just, it, it was, I was just destroying myself because I couldn't let the little things, oh, I couldn't let them go. Couldn't let the big things go either. Now I've let everything go. So this started a journey. I said, God, you're sending me wherever you want me to go. I have no idea what you're going to do. Bailey, can you, uh, Drew, you probably kind of have an idea how that works. Some of you others, uh, Andrew, I think you probably uh, understand a little bit of your story. I think you feel the same. Well, probably everybody in here does. I didn't at the time. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So the first thing he does, it's really interesting. The first thing he does, he sends me to Emory University. I studied for a year and a half creative writing. I'm a left brain guy. I, I, have tr I need spell check every third word. Really do. I really do. So how do I put words together? And, but I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm just going to do it. And I like, I'm a big John Grisham fan, some of you may know. But I never thought I could ever put words together. But anyway, so I went through that. I also did some volunteer work. It was very, it was really wonderful. Um, and then there was a day I started scrolling through an, a, a, an app about things to do volunteer-wise. And I was, that's how what I was going. I said, I've got, I got to do something with my life here. I've got to start doing some things. And I, you know, like you, one of the iPads, so I'm flip, up, up, hospice. No, up, up, up. Down, 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 hospice. I read it again. Up. And I'm thinking, hospice? I am the last person in the world that would ever be qualified, at least in my own mind, to volunteer in a hospice environment. And if you're not quite familiar technically with what hospice means for the younger people, it's usually people in their last six months or so of their life. There's like, there's nothing else. It's, they have caregivers that it, it can be kind of a struggle. Some, some it's more, uh, you know, uh, medical-like cancer. Others like uh, Betty Lee, uh, who's Betty Lee's involved in, with Magnolia Manor and Buena Vista, where she had, does wonderful work with Alzheimer's patients. Um, I, I decided to do that. I did it for a year. And I'll tell you the result of that in a minute. But, but through the writing, the writing stories, one was this hospice journey, and another was with family members that had long since, uh, a member, a mem or members, but in one in particular that's long since forgotten. He was my age as my uncle uh, to my, my grandmother's second husband. And he brutalized that man at a very young age physically and he was 18 and didn't just barely got through the eighth grade he started on a journey of drugs and alcohol that has left him homeless for most of his life 
very addicted. For some reason, through God sending me down this year and a half journey with Emory to, for creative writing, he connected me with my Uncle John and my Uncle John and in Memphis. And at the time, John was living in a trailer outside of a deer processing facility, like an 18-wheeler trailer, cold and there's no heat. That's where he was living at the time and working at the, at the processing plant. And his, he was, it was rough. But so I said, I want to write about your experience. I want to write about your story because my story is your story. We grew up together. I went, we were going like this together. And all of a sudden I go like this thanks to some interaction or his father did. But somehow we were starting this journey back together to this point that it was God-led. And so I got him out of Memphis. I was, I talked him out of coming to, Memphis, uh, to getting out of Memphis, sent him to Gainesville, put him in a residential rehab. The first one didn't work. The second one didn't work. The third one didn't work. He ended up in a Bur- place outside of Birmingham, and that one worked. He just finished it up a couple of months ago. He's been sober probably as long as he's been, the longest time he's been sober, and it's only been nine to ten months, but he's got his own apartment. He's got, he's, he's feeding himself. He's, he's buying things, the simple things like a small TV that we all take for granted. He's got a, he's gets, he gets Social Security. He's got a few dollars. And you could just see God just all over that. I think God wanted me to have a reason to connect with him, to help him get where he is now. Um, but the hospice was the journey. That was my journey. I had two patients, two caregivers for two patients, basically. One lasted one week. He died four days later. The second one lasted the entire other rest of the year with him, and he, and he ended up going to facilities, so I, I, was, I, I couldn't do any more with him. And by the year, I was just spent. It's just, I, I, just, I, I feel so much for people such as the two of you and anyone that gives care to either sick, terminally sick, or the elderly who just need extra time uh, and care. I just, I just the hearts that the two of you have are amazing, amazing to me. And, and I'm going over, but you know what? It's like Jim Valvano. He had cancer, and it was his last thing, last, last speech on the, in the SBs at ESPN. And it's almost like, okay, what are you going to do? I got the floor. So give me a few more minutes. I'm almost done, I promise. I'm going to loop all this together, I promise. Um, but what I ended up doing, and I, I can share, but it take five more minutes, and I'm not sure we can. Maybe I'll do it another time. But I wrote about the gentleman, the Navy vet, that I spent, th- that I spent three hours with the first patient that ended up dying four days later. He changed, he, he has a place in my heart and in my memory. And through, my, through, through Emory and the creative writing, I memorialized that in a short story. And that was God's gift back to me. He wanted me to give to somebody else like my uncle through this journey through Emory. He gave me the, he put me through that path to give me my own uh, you know, mem- memorializing of my time with, his name is Carl. It's an incredible story. I'll share it with you and I'll let Drew determine whether it's time, there's time to do it or we do it another time. But, so, all right. 
Here's the fascinating thing. I've been through all this. I'm going through things. I don't know what, I mean, I, my life is like, God, it's all yours. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not liking some of it. Some of it's uncomfortable. God never guaranteed that what, he, what path he's going to send is going to be all comfy and cozy. But um, I went to a men's retreat in October. So I'm getting there. It's the third time, and, and I'm there early because I'm an assistant fac- table facilitator. I'm not sure what that is, assistant to the facilitator. There, I don't know what role that was, but I was just there. And I walk into a room like this, the big room, and there's a gentleman there that I haven't seen, a very good friend of mine. I went through a couple small groups with him. Um, he's part of Larry's ministry. Uh, his name is David Montgomery, and he was at our wedding, and I hadn't seen him in two years. And I walk in the room, and he's there on the other side. We, we smile, and we we approach each other and put our arms around each other. And we're talking for about two minutes. We didn't have a lot of time. And he stops about 45 seconds into this. And he looks at me. He just stops. And he goes, I'm not sure I can get this out. He said, Tom, you look at peace. You look peaceful. That same thing that I saw Larry Green and that started admiring 10 years ago. I know I kind of felt a lot more at peace than I did over these last few years, but to have someone just hadn't seen me in a while look at me and go, you look at peace. I just feel like that I had a complete 10-year circle. It kind of came around completely for me. I admired Larry in it, and somehow God, through work in the last 10 years, along with this lovely wife who's walked through every step with me, taken me to this point of peace. And I just, that's what God has done for me. I'm going to close on a couple things, and then I'm done, Drew. I know you got that microphone ready to go. I want to read a, just a paragraph out of the book, because the chapter that Drew asked me to respond to is beautiful. It's freeing of the mind. It's, let me explain. We all know the old adage about why an elephant with all, with all its power can be held in place by small rope and peg. This is because elephants remember when they were babies and did not have the strength to pull the peg out of the ground. In short, elephants remain captive because their memories lie to them. They tell them that their past is their future, that what they experienced before will always be the reality that is before them. I think we've all got something that we kind of carry, whether it be a father that didn't quite make us feel great as we were growing up, or a parent, or maybe it was a bully or two or ten, or maybe it was a coach that didn't give us the starting role at, at, at the forward in the basketball team, or whatever it was when we were growing up, and then it, that people did to us, and then at that point we're on our own, and then we start doing to ourselves. We kind of take that and spin that, and we kind of extrapolate that into things that are so untrue. And I, and I, think the, I believe the message that both Joshua was trying to say, which, I mean, well, the message in Joshua that I took is hearing from God. And once you're able to open that up, those, were, those are the opportunities, I believe, to where the rope and the, and the peg can be overcome, and that peace can be obtained.